Welcome to Golden Gems with Dave Shaw and Bill Hansen. We review each week the career and personal life of one of the great unforgettable artists of the golden days of radio. So please join us on a trip down memory lane as we take a look at today's artist. Then go to our website, www.goldengems.net, where we also look at more of their career and play some of their most unforgettable great hits, which we are unable to share on the podcast. We invite you to join us there also. But for now, sit back and relax as we talk about the life of today's unforgettable artist of the golden days of radio. Welcome again to Golden Gems. Taking a look today at Ricky Nelson here on Golden Gems. Dave and Bill here to talk about his career and quite a bit about his personal life. Nelson was born on May 8, 1940, in Tianneck, New Jersey. He was a second son of entertainment couple Harriet Hilliard Nelson, who was born Peggy Lou Snyder on July 18, 1909, and lived until October the 2nd, 1994. And Ozzie Nelson, born March 20, 1906, and died June 3, 1975. His father, Ozzie, was half-Swedish descent. The Nelson's older son was actor David Nelson, born October 24, 1936, and died on January 11, 2011. Harriet, normally the vocalist for Ozzy's band, remained in Englewood, New Jersey with her newborn and toddler. Meanwhile, band leader Ozzy toured with the Nelson Orchestra. The Nelsons bought a two-story colonial home in Tenafly, New Jersey, and six months after the purchase, moved with son David to Hollywood, where Ozzy and Harriet were slated to appear in the 1941-42 season of Red Skelton's The Raleigh Cigarette Hour. Ricky remained in Tenafly in care of his paternal grandmother. In November 1941, the Nelsons bought what would become their permanent home, a green-and-white two-story Cape Cod Colonial at 1822 Camino Palermo in Los Angeles. Ricky joined his parents and brother in Los Angeles in 1942. Ricky was a small and insecure child who suffered from severe asthma. At night, his sleep was eased with a vaporizer emitting tincture of evergreen. He was described by Red Skelton's producer, John Goodall, as an odd little kid, likable, shy, introspective, mysterious, and inscrutable. When Skelton was drafted in 1944, Goodall grafted the radio sitcom The Adventures of Ozzie and Harriet for Ricky's parents. The show debuted on Sunday, October 8, 1944, to favorable reviews. Ozzie eventually became head writer for the show and based episodes on the fraternal exploits and enmity of his sons. The Nelson boys were first played in the radio series by professional child actors until 12-year-old Dave and 8-year-old Ricky joined the show on February 20th, 1949 in the episode Invitation to Dinner. In 1952, the Nelsons tested the waters for a TV series with the theatrically released film Here Come the Nelsons. The film was a hit and Ozzie was convinced the family could make the transition 
from radio airwaves to television small screen. On October 3, 1952, The Adventures of Ozzie and Harriet made its television debut and was broadcast in first run until September 3, 1966 to become one of the longest-running sitcoms in television history. Nelson attended Gardner Street Public School, Bancroft Junior High, and between 1954 and 1958, Hollywood High School, from which he graduated with a B average. He played football at Hollywood High and represented the school in interscholastic tennis matches. 25 years later, Nelson told the Los Angeles Weekly he hated school because it smelled of pencils and he was forced to rise early in the morning to attend. I felt the same way, I guess. <laughs> Ozzie Nelson was a Rutgers alumnus and keen on college education, but 18-year-old Ricky was already in the 93% income tax bracket and saw no reason to attend. At age 13, Ricky was making over $100,000 per annum, and at 16, he had a personal fortune of 500000 equivalent to $4,777,904.41 in the $2,020 value. Nelson's wealth was astutely managed by his parents, who channeled his earnings into trust funds. Although his parents permitted him a $50 allowance at the age of 16, at the age of 18, Rick was often strapped for cash one evening collected and redeemed empty pop bottles to gain entrance to a movie theater for himself and a date. Can you believe that? I can just imagine me out picking up bottles knowing I had 500000 in the bank. <laughs> uh, anyway, Nelson played clarinet and drums in his tweens and early teens, learning the rudimentary guitar chords and vocally imitating his favorite Sun Records rockabilly artist in the bathrooms, at home, or in the showers at the Los Angeles Tennis Club. He was strongly influenced by the music of Carl Perkins, and once said he tried to emulate the sound and the tone of the guitar break in Perkins' March 1956 top ten hit of Blue Suede Shoes. At age 16, he wanted to impress his girlfriend of two years, Diana Osborne, who was an Elvis fan, and although he had no record contract at the time, told her that he too was going to make a record. With his father's help, he secured a one-record deal with Verve Records, an important jazz label looking for a young and popular personality who could sing or be taught to sing. On March 26, 1957, he recorded the Fats Domino standard, I'm Walkin', and A Teenager's Romance, released in late April 1957 as his first single, and You're My One and Only Love. Before the single was released, he made his television rock and roll debut on April 10, 1957, singing and playing the drums to I'm Walkin' in the Ozzie and Harriet episode, Ricky the Drummer. About the same time, he made an unpaid public appearance singing Blue Moon of Kentucky with the four preps at a Hamilton High School lunch hour assembly in Los Angeles and was greeted by hordes of screaming teens who had seen the television episode. 
I'm Walkin' reached number four on the Billboard bestseller in stores chart, and its flip side, A Teenager's Romance, hit number two. When the television series went on summer break in 1957, Nelson made his first road trip and played four state and county fairs in Ohio and Wisconsin with the four preps who opened and closed for him. In 1958, Nelson recorded 17-year-old Sharon Sheely's Poor Little Fool for his second album, Ricky Nelson, which was released in June 1958. Radio Airplay brought the tune notice, and Imperial suggested releasing a single, but Nelson opposed the idea, believing a single would diminish EP sales. When the single was released, nonetheless, he exercised his contractual right to approve any artwork and vetoed a picture sleeve. On August 4, 1958, Poor Little Fool became the number one single on Billboard's newly instituted Hot 100 Singles Chart and sold over 2 million copies. During 1958 and 1959, Nelson placed 12 hits on the charts in comparison with Elvis Presley's 11. During these two years, Presley had recorded music only for the movie King Creole in January and February of 1958 before his induction into the U.S. Armed Forces and a brief recording session consisting of five songs while on military leave four months later. In the summer of 1958, Nelson conducted his first full-scale tour, averaging $5,000 nightly. By 1960, the Ricky Nelson International Fan Club had 9,000 chapters around the world. Perhaps the most embarrassing moment in my career was when six girls tried to fling themselves under my car and shouted to me to run over them. <laughs> that, sort of, that sort of thing can be very frightening. Well, they were lucky he didn't do it. <laughs> Nelson was the first teen idol to use television to promote hit records. Nelson appeared on The Ed Sullivan Show in 1967, but his career by that time was in limbo. He also appeared on other TV shows, usually in acting roles. In 1973, he had an acting role in the episode of The Streets of San Francisco. He starred in the episode A Hand for Sunny Blue from the 1977 series Quinn Martin's Tales of the Unexpected, known in the United Kingdom as Twist in the Tale. In 1979, he guest-hosted on Saturday Night Live, spoofing his television sitcom image by appearing in a Twilight Zone send-up in which, always trying to go home, he finds himself among the characters from other 1950s, early 1960s-era sitcoms, Leave it to Beaver, Father Knows Best, Make Room for Daddy, and I Love Lucy. Nelson knew and loved music and was a skilled performer even before he became a teen idol, largely because of his parents' musical background. Nelson worked with many musicians of repute, including James Burton, Joe Osborne, and Alan Pudler Harris, all natives of Louisiana, and Joe Maffis, the Jordan Ayres, Scotty Moore, and Johnny and Dorsey Burnett. In addition to his recording career, Nelson appeared in movies. He made his film debut in Here Come the Nelsons, 1952, 
and had a small role in The Story of Three Loves, 1953, at MGM, directed by Vincenti Minnelli, playing Farley Granger as a boy. Following his success on TV and with singing, Howard Hanks cast him as a gunslinger in Rio Bravo, 1959, with John Wayne and Dean Martin. Hawks attributed much of the film's box office success to Nelson. Nelson co-starred with Jack Lemmon in The Wackiest Ship in the Army in 1960, which was popular enough to give rise to a TV series in which Nelson did not appear. He guest-starred on General Electric Theater, The Wish Book, and starred in a romantic comedy feature written and directed by his father, Love and Kisses, 1965, with Jack Kelly. Nelson guest-starred on Hondo, playing Jesse James, had a support role in The Over the Hill Gang, 1969, with Walter Brennan and Pat O'Brien. Nelson was in Fall de Roll, 1972, guest-starred on McLeod, The Streets of San Francisco, Owen Marshall, Counselor at Law, Petroselli, A Twist in the Tale, The Hardy Boys, Nancy Drew's Mysteries, and The Love Boat. On The Hardy Boys and Nancy Drew Mysteries, he played the part of Tony Eagle and performed various well-known Nelson songs throughout the episode. He had support roles in TV films, Three on a Date, and High School USA in 1983. On May 8, 1961, his 21st birthday, he officially modified his recording name from Ricky Nelson to Rick Nelson. His childhood name proved hard to shake, especially among the generations who had watched him grow up on the Ozzie and Harriet show. Even in the 1980s, when Nelson realized his dream of meeting Carl Perkins, Perkins noted that he and Ricky were the last of the rockabilly breed. In 1963, Nelson signed a 20-year contract with Decca Records. After some early successes with that label, most notably 1964's For You, which reached number six, Nelson's chart career came to a dramatic halt in the wake of Beatlemania and the British invasion. However, instead of dropping him, Decca kept him on board. In 1972, Nelson reached the top 40 one last time with Garden Party, a song he wrote in disgust after a Richard Nader Oldies concert at Madison Square Garden, where the audience booed, perhaps against some unrelated police action. However, Nelson may have felt that the reason was because he was playing new songs instead of just his old hits. When he performed the Rolling Stones' Honky Tonk Women, there was booing, said to be against police and not him. He was watching the rest of the performance on a TV monitor backstage until Richard Nader finally convinced Nelson to return to the stage and play his oldies. He returned to the stage and played his oldies, and the audience responded with applause, according to Deborah Nader, president of the Richard Nader Entertainment. He wanted to record an album featuring original material, but the single was released before the album because Nelson had not completed the entire Garden Party album yet. Garden Party reached number six on the Billboard Hot 100 
and number one on the Billboard Adult Contemporary chart and was certified as a gold single. The second single released from the album was Palace Guard, which peaked at number 65. In 1973, MCA Records, whose parent company MCA Incorporated had owned American Decca since 1962, ceased the label's operations and transferred Nelson and many other Decca artists to its roster. His comeback was short-lived, and Nelson's band soon resigned. MCA wanted Nelson to have a producer on his next album. A new band was formed by Lindy Goats, then a promotion person at MCA Records. Nelson's band moved to Aspen and changed their name to Canyon. Nelson and the New Stone Canyon Band began to tour for the Garden Party album. Nelson still played nightclubs and bars, but he soon advanced to higher-paying venues because of the success of Garden Party. In 1974, MCA was unsure as to what to do with a former teen idol. Albums like Windfall failed to have an impact. Nelson became an attraction at theme parks like Knott's Berry Farm and Disneyland. He also started appearing in minor roles on television shows. Nelson tried to score another hit, but did not have any luck with songs like Rock and Roll Lady. With seven years to go on his contract, MCA dropped him from the label. Some information on Ricky Nelson's personal life. In 1957, when Nelson was 17, he met and fell in love with Mariana Geba, who played the role of Ricky's girlfriend in three episodes of Ozzie and Harriet. Nelson and Geba were too young to entertain a serious relationship, although, according to Geba, we used to neck for hours. The next year, Nelson fell in love with 15-year-old Laurie Collins, a country singer appearing on the weekly telecast called Town Hall Party. The two wrote Nelson's first composition, the song My Gal, and she introduced him to Johnny Cash and Tex Ritter. Collins appeared in the Ozzie and Harriet episode as Ricky's girlfriend and sang Just Because with him in the musical finale. They went steady and discussed marriage, but their parents discouraged the idea. Harriet Nelson never approved of Ricky's teenage girlfriends or of his dating during those younger years. She had certain expectations for Ricky's personal life as well as his career. Well, Christmas 1961, Nelson began dating Kristen Harmon, born June 25, 1945, and died on April 26, 2018. The daughter of football player Tom Harmon and actress Elise Knox, and the older sister of Kelly and Mark Harmon. The Nelsons and the Harmons had long been friends, and a union between their children held great appeal. Rick and Chris had much in common, quiet dispositions, Hollywood upbringings, and high-powered domineering fathers. They married on April 20, 1963. Chris was pregnant, and Ricky later described the union as a shotgun wedding. Nelson, a non-practicing Protestant, received instructions in Catholicism at the insistence of the bride's parents and signed a pledge to have any children of the Union raised in the Catholic faith. 
Chris Nelson joined the television show as a regular cast member in 1963. They had four children, actress Tracy Christine Nelson, twin sons Gunnar Eric Nelson and Matthew Gray Nelson, who formed the band Nelson and Sam Hilliard Nelson. By 1975, following the birth of their last child, the marriage had deteriorated and a very public controversial divorce involving both families was covered in the press for several years. In October 1977, Chris filed for divorce and asked for alimony, custody of their four children, and a portion of community property. The couple temporarily resolved their differences, but Chris retained her attorney to pursue a permanent break. Chris wanted Rick to give up music, spend more time at home, and focus on acting, but the family enjoyed a recklessly expensive lifestyle, and Chris's extravagant spending left Rick no choice but to tour relentlessly. The impasse over Rick's career created unpleasantness at home. Chris became an alcoholic and left the children in the care of household help. After years of legal proceedings, they were divorced in December 1982. The divorce was financially devastating for Nelson, with attorneys and accountants taking over $1 million. Years of legal wrangling followed. Helen Blair. In 1980, Nelson met Helen Blair, a part-time model and exotic animal trainer, in Las Vegas. Within months of their meeting, she became his road companion, and in 1982, she moved in with him. She was the only woman he dated after his divorce. Blair acted as personal assistant to Nelson, organizing his day and acting as a liaison for his fan club. But Nelson's mother, brother, business manager, and manager disapproved of her presence in his life. He contemplated marrying her, but eventually declined. Blair died with Nelson in the airplane fire. Her name was never mentioned at Nelson's funeral. Blair's parents wanted their daughter buried next to Nelson at Forest Lawn Cemetery, but Harriet Nelson dismissed the idea. The Blairs refused to bury Helen's remains and filed a $2 million wrongful death suit against Nelson's estate. They received a small settlement. Nelson did not provide for Blair in his will. Death. Nelson died in a plane crash on December 31, 1985, flying from Guntersville, Alabama to Dallas, Texas for a concert. The plane was his own Douglas DC-3, which had a history of mechanical problems. All seven passengers, including Blair, died. Only the two pilots survived. Nelson's funeral took place at the Church of the Hills, Forest Lawn Hollywood Hills Cemetery, on January 6, 1986, and he was privately buried in the Forest Lawn Hollywood Hills Cemetery in Los Angeles. His estate was bequeathed to his children, and he did not provide for his ex-wife, Chris Nelson. Well, here are some of the honors that Nelson received during his life and following. For his legacy, Nelson was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 1987 and to the Rockabilly Hall of Fame. He has a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame at 1515 Vine Street. Along with the recording of others, 
Nelson earned the 1987 Grammy Award for Best Spoken Word Album for interviews from the Class of 55 recording sessions. In 1994, a gold palm star on the Palm Springs, California Walk of Stars was dedicated to him. In 2004, Rolling Stones ranked Nelson number 91 on their list of 100 greatest artists of all times. At the 20th anniversary of Nelson's death, PBS televised Ricky Nelson Sings, a documentary featuring interviews with his children, as well as James Burton and Chris Christofferson. On December 27, 2005, EMI Music released an album entitled Ricky Nelson's Greatest Hits, which peaked at number 56 on the Billboard 200 album chart. Nelson was inducted into the Hit Parade Hall of Fame. Hall of Fame baseball player Ricky Henderson was named Ricky Nelson Henley after Ricky Nelson, and Nelson was inducted into the Scandinavian American Hall of Fame in 2013. We hope you've enjoyed the review of Ricky Nelson's career and his personal life today. And if you have not done so, we invite you to go to goldengems.net for a review of more aspects of his career and a playing of his great, great hits. Ricky Nelson, one of the great entertainers of the golden days of radio. Thanks for being with us today. We hope you're having as much enjoyment as we are reliving some of the unforgettable memories of the golden days of radio. To learn more about the career of today's artists and listen to several of their greatest hits, we invite you to go to our website, www.goldengems.net. May we also encourage you to tell your friends about the show. We'd love to have them join us in these little trips down memory lane. And as always, we invite your feedback or comments on goldengemsradio at gmail.com. So until next episode, this is Dave and Bill heading back into the archives to dust off some more unforgettable memories to share with you on Golden Gems. <laughs>